All right. Uh, if you remember, we are going through the book of Luke. Luke, doctor, physician, historian, is writing a letter to a guy named Theophilus, a, a high-ranking Roman official. He's writing to him to say, Hey, Theophilus, all this Christianity stuff, this gospel that you've been hearing about, it's all true. I, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to show you that it's true. I'm going to go myself, which he had already been doing, because I, I'm, I'm convinced that Luke, at the beginning, was a skeptic. He relates to skeptics. We talked about this several weeks ago. He's a skeptic by nature, and he loves associating with skeptics. He loves talking to skeptics, and I, basically he's talking to me writing this book because I am a, I'm just a natural skeptic. And uh, he's writing to Theophilus to say, I've checked this stuff out. I'm going to continue checking this stuff out, and, and I'm going to send you what I come up with. I'm convinced that it's true, and I want you to see that same thing. And so Luke goes and uh, he, he interviews eyewitnesses. He interviews the apostles, the followers of Jesus, the, some of those who had already written some stuff. He says, some of these things have already been written down, but I'm going to do it again because I, I'm going to double-check them. I don't believe it just because they said it. But with me, whom you have a relationship with, uh, take it from me. And so I, I, I love Luke. Um, I, I'm having fun going, going through this. If you remember last week, or, or the beginning of the book, um, we, we've been uh, doing this thing where we jump back and forth from uh, two different stories, Luke, similar stories. John the Baptist and... Come on, guys. John the Baptist and Jesus. Right? And, and so there's this... Uh, the angels... An angel, Gabriel, appears to the parents of John the Baptist and say, you're going to give birth. Even though you're really old, like 80, you're going to conceive and give birth. And if you remember, Zechariah uh, does not respond in faith, but he responds with just questioning and doubt. And so the angel uh, of the Lord shuts him up. He doesn't say anything else for the moment. And then the story jumps over to an angel appearing to Mary, saying, you're going to give birth to a baby. Again, a, a very miraculous conception story because this girl was not married, 13 years old. You're going to have a baby. And, she, of course, in, in, the, in the same vein of things, she freaks out and says, no, that's, how, how can this be possible? I, but I believe. <laughs> but explain this to me. We see a response from her, a song, Mary's song of, of praise. Then the story jumps back to the, to the birth of John the Baptist and a praise from Zechariah once his mouth is working again. A praise from Zechariah. And now the story is jumping back to Jesus, the birth of Jesus. So, so it's this back and forth, the whole beginning of this book. And he, he's doing that on purpose to compare and contrast. Here is the forerunner to the Messiah. Here is the Messiah being delivered into the world. Last week, when Zechariah regained his voice and he prophesied, he sang his song of praise, he said, all the promises, God, that you've made throughout the whole Testament to our forefathers, to, to David, who, who you said his descendant would sit on the, the king forever. He, he would sit on the throne. He would be the king and rule forever. That's coming true in the delivery of the Messiah, the one who my son is going to point to, who's going to be the forerunner to. All that's coming, coming true. 
The promise that you made to Abraham, uh, the, the, very, the very first person that started this whole nation, this is from Zechariah's perspective, he was a priest in, in, uh, in, of Israel. This whole nation, you, you made a promise to that father, the father of our, of our nation, Abraham, and you said that one day you are going to bless the entire world through your people. That promise is coming to fruition in the birth of Jesus. Wait, and and, and he expands even bigger. He says, wait, the the new covenant that you promised, where you said there would be complete and total peace, where all sins uh, of your people would be forgiven, and you would put your Holy Spirit inside of us, that's here too. Like, it's all coming true at the birth of Jesus. Now Luke moves into the birth of Jesus, that Messiah. Zechariah now was... All his declarations were true. Okay, this was a prophecy from God. All of, the, all of that was being delivered through the delivery of Jesus. So his declarations were true. His expectations of how exactly it would unfold, we're going to see as we follow this story, didn't line up. Because what he expected is a political king to rise to power, to overthrow the Roman government, and to restore Israel to a world power, and through them there would be peace, total peace forever, a shalom actually is, is what they call it. It's more, more than just a state of peace, but an internal peace, a state of joy. Uh, everything would be how it was supposed to be. That's what was coming. Uh, remember, uh, we talked about Zechariah was talking about the, the sunrise, the, the sun of righteousness it, it is rising, that the sun is coming it's rising in the sky, and everything is going to be set right. And he was referring back to a prophecy from Malachi, and I have this verse. I just want to remind you of that because it, it, it gives just a, a good picture to me. Malachi, go to that next slide. It's up there. I think it is. I could be wrong. <laughs> if you remember, and, I, and see, I can't quote it precisely. Keep on going through there. I'm pretty sure it's at the beginning. There we go. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. This is a prophecy of the coming Messiah. 400 years or so before, before he came. I, I like that, that picture. When the, when the sun comes up and, and the, the calves, the young calves that have, that have been there kind of trapped, it, they go out leaping because here it's, they don't have a care in the world. Everything is fine to, to a baby. You've seen young animals. You, puppies. Think about puppies. Um, when you've been on vacation for a long time and you come home and your dog sees you, what, is, what does he or she do? Pees on you. If you <laughs> they get so excited. <laughs> All of you have, have probably had excited animals like that, and their tail gets wagging, and they can't even control themselves, and they're rolling on the ground and are jumping on you or are doing something. Or if you have a well-trained dog, they, they, they know that they're supposed to sit there, but, but they can't hardly sit. They're just shaking so much. Like, just touch me. I want to see you. Hello. Uh, that's the picture that I get from this prophecy. Like, this is, this is the excitement that should be delivered with the Messiah. So today we're going to actually look at the delivery of the Messiah. Uh, because although that was the expectation, and in some ways it's true, when we actually see this delivery story, 
it's Jesus comes into a very different context than that idea of shalom, this idea of, of peace where everything is okay. Everything is, is how it's supposed to be. The idea almost that we have of heaven. Well, where is that? I mean, it, it, we don't experience it right now, but maybe it was there when, when Jesus was born. No, it wasn't. So, so how do we make sense of all of this? Uh, let's, let's read it and go through it. Um, I, I want you to see as I read this passage from Luke, it's going to be the, the first 20 verses of Luke chapter 2. This is a very familiar passage. It's read probably every Christmas at some point. This is Luke's narrative, uh, Christmas narrative. It, it is always read, and we read it so much. Uh, I'm afraid the details have, we've lost the details. We, we have ideas about the birth of Jesus, and maybe we do think, maybe we've been taught this was a very peaceful sort of time. This was, oh, it was so beautiful and this delivery. And here was, you know, Mary in this beautiful blue and white gown. And, oh, the birth of Jesus. But that's not what was going on. Okay, so listen to the details. And all I'm going to do first, I'm just going to read the first 20 verses. And then we'll go back through and, and look at it and talk about it. But um, pay attention. You may already pick up some details that you haven't really thought of before in your hallmark picture of Christmas. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with, his, with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region where shepherds were out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among, with, among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as if it had been told them. As it had been told them. Uh, let's, uh, let's pray, and then uh, we'll, we'll jump into that. Father God, thank you for this day, for our time together. I pray now as, as we uh, read back through your word, that you would illuminate truths for us that maybe we have never seen. Would you remind us of of your truths that, that are good and beautiful and 
and pure. And in fact, that when we understand and embrace, do bring us peace and joy and hope and all the and all the trimmings that Christmas is said to have bring. Um, but would you help us to see that with clarity? I trust that you will do exactly these things. As this is this is your word, and your Holy Spirit is here. And so it's in your Son's name, and by the power of your Holy Spirit that I pray to you, Father. Amen. All right. Here we go. Luke, if, if you saw his, his beginning, he said, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. This is the kind of thing Luke does. Uh, he sets it in history. He says, this is when it happened. This is not just a story that he's made up. This is not just some, some fanciful thing that uh, uh, you're supposed to believe and close your eyes and jump and have faith. No. All of Christianity is rooted in true, actual, literal history. Luke is making that point right here. In that day, uh, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first reg- registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All right, Caesar Augustus, I got a slide for him. There he is. All right, he was, he was emperor of Rome. All right, he ruled Rome from about uh, 31 BC to about 14 AD. Augustus ordered a census. Rome would do that from time to time. He would, they would order a census for really two reasons. Uh, one, for taxation. How many people do we have? How much can we get away with taxing these people? Because they need to pay money to us, Rome, so we can build and rule and govern and uh, get stuff from our empire. Second reason is to know how many able-bodied men they had. Because Rome was ever-expanding their empire and... uh, they could call on anybody within their empire to join the army. They could call a draft at any time. And you either said okay to that draft and you joined the army or the Roman army would kill you. So for taxation purposes and to know uh, what size army they had. All right? Now, of course, it doesn't matter. Trained uh, Roman soldiers and, and their militias varied, but... Nonetheless, you would fight for Rome if they wanted you to, or you would die. It, it, it was that simple. Um, all right, so everybody went back to his or her own town. I, that seemed kind of crazy to me. Like, why didn't they just count the people where they were living? I think probably this was just Rome extending its control over the people. No, you will go back to where you came from, and we will make sure everybody is accounted for and we know who you are, where, where you are. This is, this is Big Brother Rome. It, this didn't start, you know, here in America. Like, <laughs> the way that we talk about it, the government's always looking over your shoulder. No, this is, this is, this is who Rome is, was. All right? Um, interestingly enough, prophecies told us where the Messiah was going to be born. Bethlehem the city of David, in the line of David, as we talked about last week. That that was promised from ancient past that the Messiah would be of the line of David. When we read this, okay, they're going to Bethlehem. Uh, That's one of those details that just 
Yep, they had to go to Bethlehem to be guys. If they were living, put up the next slide with the um, with the map on there. All right. So Jesus and his family lived in Nazareth, <coughs> and the text says they went up to Bethlehem, which is just south of Jerusalem. It says up to because Jerusalem, the city on a hill, it was in the mountain region. So. I know when, when I read that, I think going up means going north. That's not the case, okay? It's just because of the way that we've learned in map orientations is normally north is at the top. Okay, they went up, up in elevation to Jerusalem. Guys, this is a 100-mile journey. 100 miles. Can you imagine walking 100 miles at all? Can you imagine walking 100 miles eight, nine months pregnant? It, no, that's crazy. Well, she rode a donkey. Like that makes it any better. Come on. We don't actually know if she rode a donkey. We just know that she went to Bethlehem like with, with her uh, betrothed. They weren't married yet. They, <laughs> here they were. Now, typically, for safety, people would travel together in caravans. Uh, we talked a few weeks ago about uh, the judgment that would have already been coming upon Mary because here she was not married and pregnant, that was a serious offense, and in fact, you could be put to death for that. Can you imagine if she is traveling in a caravan, what people are talking about behind her back, pointing the finger, can you believe that girl? Can you believe that? That's Mary's situation. We See, we don't think about that when it comes Christmas time. Traveling 100 miles, I mean, you guys... Yeah. Many of you have had kids. You can't imagine driving a car for 100 miles, nine months pregnant. Can you imagine walking over rough terrain, or or, or on a donkey? Like I said, I don't know. That, I think that may make it worse. Uh, I don't know. That's crazy to me. I never thought of that growing up. This is Christmas. This is how Christmas starts. All right. All right. This ha- and this happens when Quirinius. Quirinius. He oversaw it. Remember that guy, Quirinius? Yeah, that's when, it, that's when it happened. So he's setting this in time, in history. He switches, uh, uh, Luke talks about these government people, the high ups, and, and then he's going to zoom in to the people he wants to talk about at hand here, Mary. Mary and Joseph who are walking this far. Uh, and Joseph also went up in elevation so I said elevation, from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. All right, another popular idea, because we see nativity scenes at Christmas, and we got the animals around and we've got Jesus laying in, you know, on some hay in this little stand of thing in a manger. And, uh, you know, it seems pretty neat. Man, wouldn't that be cool? I mean, we got the idea of, oh, there wasn't even any room for him in the end, so he had to be in a manger. But it's still kind of cool, right? It, I mean, to have a petting zoo and a nativity, that's neat, right? All right. Uh, we don't actually know if there were animals around. Uh, it, it doesn't say that... That he was born in a, in a barn. Um, it, it does talk about a, a manger, that they laid him in a manger, which was like an animal trough. All right? Um, 
There was no room for them in the inn. Uh, the inn, uh, look, there, there weren't hotels in Bethlehem. Okay, inn, the word used there is cataluma, which just means dwelling place. They didn't stay in, normal, in a normal dwelling place. <laughs> there probably weren't hotels. Maybe there were some houses available that you could pay somebody to stay in. Typically, though, when you go into a town, and this was a the very common practice, and in fact, hostility was a huge thing to the Jewish culture. You were to be hospitable. When you go into a town, and this is a town from which Joseph's family is from, like he's, they're going home, you typically go and stay with family. That's, that's what happens. You stay with family. Now, so it's not just they went into town and, oh, there's no room for a hotel. This is the only place they could find. No, for whatever reason, their family wouldn't let them in their house, in the normal dwelling place anyway. So you have to ask yourself, why is that? Why is that? Did they really, was there really just so many people in town that there wasn't room for them? Or there was, uh, uh-uh, we, we don't have room for you guys. Not you. Sinners. You, you have to understand the mentality to see an unmarried pregnant lady. You talk about being judged. This fits right in with the culture of the time. Ooh, we don't actually want to bring your sinful lifestyle into our house. But I'll tell you what, you can go stay over there. I'm much more convinced that's what was going on here. And we don't think about that, though. It's interesting. God does this kind of thing all the time. Uh, He chooses the least likely of people to get his work done. He uses a lowly, 13-year-old, unmarried, adulterous, appearance-wise, she wasn't, who was pregnant, about to give birth to a bastard child. That was, that was what people saw them as. God says, yeah, I'm going to use her. And through her, I'm going to deliver the Savior of the world. That's wild. We have a strange God. We have a God that is uh, that doesn't conform to the to the rules that we set up in this world. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> you may. <laughs> a king was born this night. Wrapped in purple robes and on his throne, not quite. Hmm. I, I like this. Um, considering this situation, if you remember back in chapter 1 the, uh, of Luke, when the angel came to Mary, he, he said this. I want you to listen to these words, and I think I have a slide for it. Um, Kenny. Luke 1, chapter 30, and the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. It's interesting to me, if we stop and think about the position of Mary, the judgment Mary would have come under, this, this whole, even this, this 
whole idea she just walked 100 miles barefoot and pregnant and now giving birth in either some outer room, possibly a cave, possibly a barn, somewhere that you don't normally dwell. It's not a Cataluma. It's something else. It's not a typical dwelling place. Into that circumstance, Mary, who is favored by God, is placed. We must have, or I must have, the wrong idea what favored by God means. Because what do you picture? Oh, man, that guy's favored by God. What do you think of when you hear that? He must be, oh, he's blessed. Even if you put religious you know, terminology on it. When that person has the big house and drives the right kind of car and dresses in the right kind of clothes and everything in their life goes how it's supposed to go. Man, that guy's blessed. That guy is favored by the Lord. Wait a minute, Mary's favored by the Lord. What we think of being favored and what God thinks of being when he favors someone, because that's really what, what it is. God is favoring her. Why? It's not that she did anything. She's a 13-year-old girl. She didn't do anything to be favored, but God favored her. What, why is that? Uh, the word caris, favor, it means grace, kindness, and goodwill. God has been gracious with her. Not as we would see it. Not in life circumstances necessarily. People that are favored by God, they don't necessarily become significant in a worldly sense, but they absolutely get to be used in a significant way. To be favored by God is not to be significant, but it is to be used in a significant way by God. And Mary was favored by God. It's just crazy how God chooses to demonstrate his, his glory. Uh, you can't make this stuff up. If you, were making up. if you were making up a story about the birth of the Savior of the world, I'd change the details. This is not how a king is supposed to be born. But that's what we just heard prophesied about. Zechariah just prophesied. It's all coming to fruition. The king is about to be born. Shalom is about to be brought into this world. And in fact, in a minute, we're going to see that the the angels say that's what's happening. Let's let's read on. Okay, in, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. All right, we've seen, this is the third time we've seen an angel appear. What happens every time the angel shows up? What? It has to say, don't be afraid. <laughs> yeah, it has to say, don't be afraid. Because when the angel shows up, people freak out. <laughs> they just do. But, but we typically read over the details. and we, we, we read, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Yeah, okay. Guys, they, they weren't like just a little weirded out. They, they were filled with great fear. You know, these are not some pansy boys out in the field. These are, these are shepherds. These are the guys who, who protect the sheep from predators, from wolves and from bears and from lions. Like, oh my. They keep them. <laughs> they fight off those things. 
but yet they're filled with great fear. That, that, that's why this was not, uh, an angel does not show up to look like some long, blonde-haired, flowy, girly man in a white gown. That's, that's, not, that's not an angel. Uh, an angel is not what you see at, at Valentine's Day, this fat little character with wings flying in the air. That's, that's not an angel. In fact, if that had shown up in front of these shepherds, like any good redneck, they would have shot that thing down and had it for dinner. Woo, look at these flying pigs. We're going to get us some of that. Barbecue. That's what would have happened. No, they, they freaked out. They were filled with fear. Um, this, can you imagine sitting around, maybe a fire to, to kind of keep warm, to, to keep watch, and pitch dark. You, 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 have you been in a situation like that? I know that you have, most of you in this room. I know you've been camping. You've been out in a field or, or something, and it's just dark. Dark everywhere, and all you can see is, a, is across the fire, you know, to the next person that's, that's in front of you, and that's as far as you can see. Can you imagine turning around and seeing some huge flaming being approaching you from the darkness? That's, that's something like what they're experiencing. And the angel said to them, like he always has to do, and I always wonder, why is there not a warning beforehand? Yeah, he says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Hmm. I'm bringing you the gospel. That's, that's what he's bringing. The angel's about to bring a birth announcement. Uh, most of you have kids. Do you, do you remember that moment when you first met your kid? Do you, do you remember the joy? Even those you mothers that have given birth. And even though it may have been a long and strenuous labor, when you met your child for the first time, I, I think you can genuinely say you had great joy. Even though you may have still been in pain, even though the circumstances of this birth may not have been good at all, there's still that moment when you are filled with joy. This kind of joy, this kind of... This is what the angels are bringing. A birth announcement. The ultimate news of great joy. Next verse, if I find it again. For unto you, this is verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and laying in a manger. I think that's kind of cool. Uh, not purple robes on the throne. What, I wonder what they thought. The, the Christ is born in swaddling clothes laying in a manger. 
that doesn't go together. <laughs> That's cool to me. It doesn't go together, though. And suddenly, like, this boggles my mind. Okay, they were freaked out with one angel. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So it took one angel to bring this birth announcement. And we see a multitude. Of, this is thousands, hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of angels. This, this word that's used here for multitude is often used for uh, army forces, like, like for, for military. A multitude, legions of angels show up. And they're praising God. Uh, and, and this praise, you should think more of like a, a chant. This is a song that they're singing in unison. Can you imagine millions of angels filling the sky and all together saying, Glory to God in the highest. This would have been redonkulous. Uh, you've probably seen Stone Mountain Light Show. Nothing in comparison to this. <laughs> Nothing in comparison to this. Even, even the part where... Um, even better. Even, even better than that. Even, uh, what's the guy, um, the thing's Georgia? Great, yes, thank you. See, even better than that part. <laughs> even better than that part. I, I just, I can't even imagine. But I, I want you to try to be there. This is, this will be wild. This is the fullness of time that we talked about last week. This, this is when it's all happening. It's all coming together. The world, uh, uh, all of history was prepared for this moment when the Savior was delivered into the world. And with it, uh, did you hear what I just read? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among, with, among those with whom he is pleased. This is where we get the peace on earth, goodwill towards men rhetoric at Christmas every year. Zechariah was expecting shalom. The angel says... Uh, Here's peace coming. Like, uh, praise God. There's about to be peace here. Like, there's this idea that everything is going to be set right with the delivery of this Christ. And as we've already mentioned, uh, something seems to be amiss here. Uh, because not only was that peace not delivered, that we expect this shalom where everything is okay... It wasn't delivered then, and we just talk about the crazy circumstances that this family is in, but we can be right here right now, and we're still not experiencing this idea of peace, are we? I bet your week went just perfect this week. Just so you could, man, this is shalom. <laughs> oh, it didn't? <laughs> you know, I, I know for you, it, it didn't. Some of you may feel like you're in some of the same places that Mary and Joseph must have been in. Maybe you are facing judgment from the world that's around you. Uh, maybe you had to walk 100 miles barefoot, it feels like, and pregnant. Uh, maybe there is dissension within your family that is just like churning in your gut this past week. Do you think it was like that for Mary and Joseph? No, you didn't experience 
shalom in that sense this past week. Uh, you can move out from looking at your own life. Maybe you had a good week. Just stop staring at yourself for a minute then and look up. You're not going to find that idea where everything is just as it should be. You don't have to go very far. You can look at a newspaper, turn on the TV. So what's up? We often think of peace as Webster's Dictionary defines it, something like this. Freedom from or the cessation of war or violence. That would be a, an outside kind of peace. Or, and or, we think of peace on a more internal basis, a condition of harmony, well-being, and prosperity. I'm just trying to, to show you there's a conflict. There must be. There must be a conflict. Now, the conflict is either in God's Word, because what it's saying is not true, obviously, or we have a mixed up idea about what peace is. And maybe, I would even argue, the, the peace has been delivered and it's being delivered. And it will be delivered completely in the future. But that doesn't mean we cannot experience some form of that peace and that joy. Just like the prophet Malachi talked about where calves go leaping from their stalls. I think we can actually experience some of that joy now, how is that? Well, let's talk about this piece for a minute. Uh, first notice that whatever this piece is, it's only for a particular group of people. Who's it for? What did it say? Peace among those with whom God is pleased. This, this idea here is the same as we saw Luke talking about Mary being favored. It's a, it's a different Greek word. Same, same application throughout <coughs> Scripture. Uh, and particularly in light of the idea... Well, let me just ask you the question. How many people has God been pleased with? How many? Like, for real, pleased with. One. There's only been one person with whom, is, whom God has been well pleased. Because every single... You know what I'm talking about? Jesus. That's the Sunday school answer. If I ever ask a question directly, just say Jesus, it'll be right. <laughs> Jesus is the only person who ever lived the life that was totally in line with God. He's the only person that has never snubbed their nose at God and said, Up yours. Every single person who has done something wrong. Oh yeah, that's everybody in this room. <laughs> that's, that's known as sin. All right? And I know that word gets thrown around a lot and you've probably felt judged because somebody's been telling you, oh, you're a sinner. Yeah, but you are a sinner. If you have gone against God, that means if you've done one thing bad, you have... You have effectively gone against the standard of what is good. How do we even know what, is, what bad is? Bad is a departure from good. The standard of goodness is who? God. 
Okay? There's not just some moral laws floating out there in the universe that are randomly just there. Right? We don't have obligations to rules. We have obligations to people. Think about it this way. If you opened your mail and you had a letter that said, uh, please send $1,000 to Trip. Signed, Trip. <laughs> Would you really have any obligation to do that? Or maybe you just found a note on the ground. This is probably even better. You just found a note on the ground that said, Pay trip $1,000. Would you feel any obligation to send me $1,000? No, of course not. Now, what if you got a letter in the mail from the IRS that said, pay the IRS $1,000. Would you have an obligation to pay the IRS? Yes. Why? Because that request, that obligation is to an entity, to an agent of some sort, and in that case, an agent that has some kind of authority over you. God, the creator of everything, including you, says, I, I want to love you. I want you to love me. I made you to be in a relationship with me. Come on and walk with me. And when we say, no, thank you, and we go our own way, when we go against what is good, that means when we do bad, we have said, no, I don't want to walk with you, creator of the universe. I want to go my own way. Thanks a lot. I'll be my God today. We ha- you've got to realize you have gone against God. You've gone against God. This is capital treason. This is... And that's why sin is worthy of death because it's capital treason. You, when you go against God, God's perfectly within His rights as your Creator to snub you out. There's only been one person with whom God has been pleased. But through that person, there's more that he's pleased with because he favors them. Not because of anything that we do. All because of what he's done. He delivered his son into the most absurd of circumstances to reach the most absurd of people like you and me. His enemies. Hmm. Jesus, you've got to understand, Jesus was born into hostility. Not even just what we've talked about, but it would continue. It's only going to get worse, actually, for Jesus. You know, in two years, the government's going to say, uh, all right, all those kids that are two and under, all those boys need to be put to death. And they're going to have to flee to Egypt. And he's going to come back on the scene, and people are going to welcome him, but not for very long. Uh, then they're going to torture him and beat him and string him up on a cross. That's how it goes for Jesus. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Um, I think I made the point. God hates sin. He hates it. And we run into the problem. uh, It gets really hard to separate sin from sinner. How do you do that? 
how do you do that? God's creative. He came, he came to do it. He came to do it so that, as we talked about last week, God could put his Holy Spirit in us without burning us up. He had to make us righteous, pure, holy, like his son Jesus. Peace does not come through any religious affiliation. Even if you've gone to church all your life, you don't get peace that way. Peace does not come from what you do. It does not come from earning money. It does not come from living a certain lifestyle. It does not come from doing a whole lot of good things. It doesn't matter how many good things you've done. We, you, you all know, I know, I, actually I know a secret about each of you. You carry around inside of you guilt. Somewhere deep inside of you. Because you know that you're guilty. And it doesn't matter how many good things you do. In the same way that if I drove from here to my house, never stopping. That means I would run some stop signs and some traffic lights because those traffic lights always stop me. Every single one. But, let's see, what if I just ran five of them and then I stopped at the next five? When the police officer pulls me over and said, Sir, I'm going to have to give you a ticket. You ran five stoplights. And I said, Oh, no, no, no. I stopped. I stopped. I made up for them. I'm still guilty. I'm still guilty. Peace cannot come from what you, what you do. Peace comes from Jesus alone. He's the one that justifies us as, as we just saw from Romans. He takes the punishment for us. This is the crazy thing. God, through Jesus, makes you his favored one. And that does not mean that he gives you the circumstances of peace and relaxation and sets everything just smooth in your life. That doesn't mean you get to become significant in this world in, to worldly eyes. What it does mean, however, is that you get to be used by God in a significant way. And that ought to blow your mind. The fact that God would favor you to use you, to love you, and to incorporate you into his loving of other people. When you get that, it totally changes your attitude no matter what your circumstances currently are. Even to the point where somewhere on the inside, in the middle of tragedy, and in the middle of, of desperation, in the middle of heartache, there is still something inside of you, there is still a peace that surpasses all understanding, as Philippians talks about. It's still there. Because you have been given peace with God. That will one day, when Christ returns transpire into something far bigger than you. This peace that we get with God, notice it says, among those with whom he is pleased. All of those that recognize what God has done for us, there's a relationship that we share with one another. Those of us who have been favored by God. Which makes no sense. Which makes no sense. There's a relationship that we share uh, that should really push out any hostility we have towards each other. 
if you believe the gospel and there is dissension among you and a fellow believer, I'm going to question how much you actually believe the gospel. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be best friends with everybody. But family overlooks iniquities because we have a peace with God. And that peace should spread out amongst us. And through that, and through that witness, the world will change. When we experience that peace, what what do we want to do? If we just kept reading, and I know we're short on time, what what did these shepherds do? What did they do after they met Jesus? They went and told everybody. They couldn't help it. They met their Savior, and they had to go tell the world. They could not just sit there. It, oh, this, this peace that they experienced overflowed. They had to go tell somebody. And what did the world do? They sat there scratching their heads and like, whoa, what's going on? It doesn't, it, it doesn't say that everybody, oh, I'm going to, yes, everybody became Christians because they wouldn't say, no. No, that's God's job. Our God in response to the peace that we've been given, to the grace that we've been given, is to share that. So here's the thing. How do we do that? Christmas. That's how we do it. The idea, what is Christmas? Christmas is a big party. It should be. Christmas is a party. As Christians, we should party like no other. What does anybody else have to party about compared to this? Compared to the idea that God put on flesh to dwell among us, and it doesn't just stop there, right? Or he just be some baby with a crazy story. (laughs) Jesus, God, came to live with us. And we all knew, we all know, in this room anyway, he was born to die. To die in our place for our sins so that we may live with him forever. Christians should have the best parties. Our life should be a party. In fact, I would say, I would argue you can almost interchange party and worship. There's something about worship that should be overflowing from you because you've experienced peace with God. I I just want you to consider that. Um, What does it look like to party every single day? What does it look like to celebrate Christmas? It doesn't mean you dress up like Santa Claus and... Maybe it does mean we get to eat a lot of cookies. But you don't dress up in a red suit and put up a Christmas tree. But the idea that God reached out and touched you makes this party. Uh, I read a book. I'm going to close with this little quote because I like it. Um, the book is called God Rest Ye Merry. And it's, it's a guy writing uh, about Christmas. And he's really writing into response uh, as a response to a lot of Christians who have like, kicked Christmas traditions out. Like, oh no, we can't put up a tree in our living room because that's the devil. Or we can't dress up uh, a man in a, in a fat suit and put a beard on him because that's the devil. Like, and he's arguing against that and saying, no, like, 
use the things of culture, leverage them, leverage everything to glorify God with it. And I like what he says because this should apply to our everyday lives. He says this. Uh, Doug Wilson is the the guy who wrote this book. Use fudge and eggnog and wine and roast beef. Use presents and wrapping paper. Embedded in many of the common complaints you hear about the holidays, consumerism, shopping, gluttony, etc., are false assumptions about the point of the celebration. You do not prepare for a real celebration of the Incarnation through 30 days of Advent Gnosticism, which means throwing away everything physical and and just saying, oh, this is just a spiritual realm. He finishes up by saying this, uh, Some may be disturbed by this. It seems a little out of control as though I'm urging you to go overboard. But of course I'm urging you to go overboard. Think about it. When this world was in sin and pining, did did God give us a teaspoon of grace to make our dungeon a tad more pleasant? No, he went overboard. He went overboard. So as, as, as we leave tonight, I, I, I want us to leave in a spirit of worship. I, I want us to party this week as if God really came to dwell among us and to forgive us of our sins. And if we, if we really believe that, it, it really will change your life. It really will. It won't change your circumstances. In fact, your circumstances may get worse. They may. Sorry to give you that news for the week. God loves you. And he wants you to live with him forever. If that's true, what power do the circumstances have over you? Let's start worship right now, and we're going to do it several ways as we kind of close out every... Sunday with singing. Those angels that showed up, they were singing this chant, this cry, this worship, this praise to God. And so we're going to get to do that. And sing loud because he doesn't have a microphone. We have direct access to God. You can talk to God right now. You can pray right where you are. You can do it as an act of worship. You can give as an act of worship in the little honey pot. Money, money is just a tangible way, a tangible thing that represents our lives, right? You can see what you worship by where you spend your money. Okay, now that doesn't mean you have to, I'm not trying to guilt you into putting money in the pot. As I said last week, we hardly have any expenses, which is awesome. We want more people to meet Jesus. And so we give towards that. We give towards making this environment comfortable. We've got to buy coffee somehow. We want to take care of each other because we truly love one another. And we want to reach other people for the sake of the gospel. Money is one way we get to do that. And so as an act of worship, you may give. If it's not worship, don't give. Just don't. We get to take communion. Uh, Communion is another tangible way that we worship because we remember what God has done for us. Jesus said at the Last Supper, he said, he broke the bread. He said, take this bread and eat it 
in remembrance of me. My body was broken for you. He was born in a manger. He died on a cross. Broken for you. Take this wine, this drink. It's my blood that was poured out for you. As often as you drink this and eat this, you are proclaiming the gospel. This is a way that we proclaim the gospel to ourselves and to everybody around us in an act of worship, of celebration. You know how we like to eat at celebrations. That's what, that's what this is about. Talk about celebrate. We're going to celebrate by consuming Jesus. It's not literally Jesus. Some people believe that. So I want to invite you to come. Take communion. Take the bread. Tear it off. Dip it in the juice and, and consume it. And, and think about what it is that you're doing. If you're not a Christian, I'd ask you just to, just to pass on that because that's not your proclamation that Jesus died for you. All right? You're not going to be judged or looked at weird or anything like that. Um, and then remember the prayer request cards. If you haven't filled that out, stick it in that box. And then as we're dismissed, pick one up on your way out. And I have some discussion points for you guys this week with your families. So as Jeremy plays, um, come as you're ready for communion.